Abba, we love you. We cherish you. We thank you for being our best friend and our cheerleader. We thank you that you're for us, and we thank you that the angels of the Lord are here to minister to us, and we just welcome in Jesus. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. We come with such anticipation for whatever you want to share with us, God, and I just thank you for those divine word of knowledge and prophetic and whatever you want to share with your girls, Lord, that it would come forth. Um, And even if it doesn't come from my mouth, God, I thank you that there are ministers all around us, Lord, that each of us, when we turn to our sister, God, we have the spirit of the living God. And so, God, I just commission my sisters to be a blessing to each other. I thank you for those side conversations. I thank you for the lunchtime, God, that you would handpick who's supposed to go to lunch with who, and that that ministry time and that laughter and girl time would just continue. God, I pray that you'd give us um, sharp minds and that you'd help us to see below the surface, God, um, and that we would recognize the area that you're putting your holy highlighter and you're wanting us to focus on, God. I thank you that you are so in love with us, and we just receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so last night, uh, I really felt like the focus was supposed to be more on the spiritual components. Um, so as we're biological, which is the whole body, psychological, all your psyche, your relationships, including your childhood and all of that stuff that's modeled and imprinted on us, um, and the spiritual, all four are always interacting at the same time, and we don't exist one apart from the other four. Um, so a lot of times when I go in very Christian circles, they're like, oh, everything's hyper spiritual, right? And then it's like, oh, psychology or that other stuff. Then I go into psychology world and they're all like, everything's psychology and that weird spiritual stuff. We don't want to go there. And so it's like somehow we're supposed to marry all of it and be whole beautiful daughters that exhibit, exhibit all of the different dimensions of the Lord to inhabit the praises of our God. And so when we hold the concept that we're all of those at the same time, we start looking at, well, how is my spiritual life affecting my exercise? How is my exercise affecting my mood? How is my mood affecting my relationship with my friends and my coworkers? How is that affecting my blood pressure? How is that affecting every area of my life? We can't live without all of them being affected at once. So a lot of times... Um, we try to do things through our willpower or we just try to do spiritual or we just try to do our thought change or we just try to think positive or, and it's like a lot of people just are really frustrated because if we don't have the synergy of all four coming into agreement with the truth, then we're going to usually be kind of lopsided. And maybe one area of me is getting stronger, but it's kind of like I keep getting dragged back and I don't know why. So last night talking a lot about the spiritual, if we don't deal with the spiritual as spiritual, like go away in Jesus name, then we're fighting a a physical battle, but we're using, we're not, we're not, we're fighting a spiritual battle, but we're trying to use our physical ability. And so that's where a lot of people get very frustrated. But then once the devil goes away, I now have to renew my mind. I now have to develop new habits and lifestyles and ways of relating. I have to now guard my tongue. I now have to watch over my thoughts. I now have to be the steward of my city. And so that's why today is called city life. So how do we inhabit the place of being all of this in the middle of a carnal world, a spiritual daughter who's co-seated with Christ in heavenly realms and yet have to go to work and daycare and kids and all this stuff? How do we marry all of those things? So one of the first thoughts I had was um, some of the strategic attacks that do hit our city walls. So around us, so again, this is kind of my metaphor of the city. 
Around us, um, in Scripture, it always talks about city walls and cities. Metaphors are used a lot in Scripture to represent kind of our territory, our stewardship. Even Jesus in his parables, he used a lot about stewards and servants and watching over and caring for what a master has given us charge over. So a lot of people subconsciously feel like, if I pray and I do all my part, God, you're not doing your part. And so a lot of people get very frustrated at the Lord, and we need to recognize what walls in my city do I need to come into agreement, need to get stronger? What doors do I need to open, like last night? What doors do I need to shut, like last night? And so as we look at some of the strategic attacks, some of the stuff I see a lot is condemnation. So we'll repeat this one a lot because it's used a lot against people. So if you ever have the thought that um, it's hard to approach God, or that, yeah, you just kind of feel uh, unsettled with God. It's like conviction makes me go, oh, Lord, I am so sorry I hurt your feelings. And I just come to him, right? But anything that makes me want to hide and pull back is usually associated with condemnation. Condemnation is usually associated with a root of shame. And so if I recognize that, if I just hit condemnation, then I'm still going to have an access point where the enemy can come below and use shame to still make it feel true. Even though I know it here, it's not true, but it still kind of makes me feel bad. And so if we're looking at condemnation, that means I need to now strengthen, steward my city to strengthen that wall. I can't expect it to just kind of happen or just kind of half-heartedly pray. It's like, all right, every time Jesus had an attack, he would say, it is written. Right. He would go back to the word and he would say, this is what my father says. So a lot of people have um, identity issues where it's like, I feel worthless. I feel no good. I feel like I'm, you know, less than we compare as women all the time. We look at her and we go, oh, man, her anointing so much better than mine or her hair is so much whatever. Or look at her life. And all of that is getting my focus off of this relationship with the Lord, and it's getting it back on here. It's keeping me in discontentment. And when I'm discontent, I now have a door to now downwardly compare myself to other people and feel bad about myself. These subtle little things, the enemy is very crafty at wanting to make sure we, they stay under the radar that we like barely don't even notice the thought of like, Oh, I feel really fat today. And she looks really skinny and, uh, you know, like all those thoughts that go through our head are actually attacks and not everything is spiritual, but it is a way for our eyes to go away from the truth of what God says about me. And I start looking at my horizontal for my worth. Some, some people go, Oh, well, I feel cute today. I feel good about myself. Oh, I feel fat and ugly and no good today. I feel bad about myself. That means your identity is not strengthened that depending on how I feel, like I'm looking to other people to be my mirror, that helps me feel good or bad in the world. That means I need to spend time with the Lord, strengthening my sense of self. And that's not one of those quick prayers. (laughs) That's one of those every day walking it out. Lord, what do you say about me? So when I go through something, I get flashcards. I go to the index of the Bible and I go, okay, here's the truth of what you say about me. Or if I have a huge, like I had to write a dissertation to be a doctor, right? So when I had to do that, I had intimidation just overwhelm me. It was like, <gasps> like, I really can't do this, God. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like I have to write a doctoral dissertation. This is crazy. So I had to get a bunch of scriptures 
and I read a bunch of faith uh, devotionals at the time, and I just prayed and prayed and prayed until I could cross the line. I literally made a line, <laughs> and I prayed and prayed and prayed until I could cross that line and say, yes, God, I agree with your truth, because if we really love the Lord, don't we want to speak in his love language? Like we always talk about like love languages and, you know, words and touch and gifts and all those things. I think the Lord's major love language is belief. That we would just trust him, that we'd say it is written. God, here's your word. Irrespective of what the enemy has said, what my parents have said, what the media tells me a woman's supposed to look like, what blah, blah, blah. God, it is written that I'm your beloved, that I have great worth, that I have value, that I'm made in the image of God, that the bride of Christ is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So if I start coming into agreement with those truths, you know that it's not going to feel true at first. Because as a little girl, my pre-programming was written, depending on all kinds of life experiences, all of that causes my brain to create ridges and to respond to certain stimuli a certain way. My brain will respond to the exact same thing, completely different than every one of yours, because my pre-programming has now been written in such a way that it's built for my life experience. That's why 12 people can look at the same experience, and we all perceive it so differently. And here's a little factoid. So um, forensic psychologists, when they look at the Gospels, you know how the four accounts are very different? Like the main theme is the same, but they have very different perceptions. So an untrained eye would look at that and be like, wow, like were they even at the same thing? Like that doesn't seem very like, why aren't they seeing the same? Forensic psychologists would say that's actually verifying the validity of the accounts because every brain should perceive it a little bit differently. If everybody had it the exact same, it would have been probably corroborated where we're looking at it going, ah, see, you tell that part and I'll, you know, and we'll make sure our story's right. My brain should perceive it very differently than the next person seeing the exact same. So when I perceive things, that's based on a whole bunch of subconscious pre-programming from my life experience. So with humility now, I go, okay, Lord, I can see that a lie of worthlessness or shame or disappointment or uh, fear has been encoded on the inside of me. And now it's very easy for me to go back to that old nature. And so when I do, and I recognize it, one, in the spirit realm, right, because you have to do all four areas, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to go, Lord, I was relating to you like you're a judge again. Would you please forgive me? Thank you. And I receive your forgiveness, right? Because what happens a lot is we ask the Lord for stuff, but we can keep that door closed. And I picture it like he has this big gift basket, and he's like, okay, you asked, I'm here, here it is. And we're like, ah, I don't feel worthy. Uh, I need to, I need to do some more good things. I need to, you know, I, I don't know, you know? And so it's like, well, maybe we need to do some more by faith receiving. God, I might not feel it right now. I might feel like you're far away. I might feel like I'm in a desert in a wilderness and I don't see your faithfulness right now. But God, here's what your word says. And by faith, I'm going to open that door. And when I do, electric activity, when I choose to agree with something, now changes chemistry in my brain. That's a one-time thing, and that's great. If I only do it once, my brain's like, nah, blip. But if I now rehearse it, renew my mind daily, now I can actually reprogram my brain. Sorry, I'm kind of one-sided. I'll stand over here so everybody can see. Um, 
So then your brain can actually get rewired. So you have all these ridges and dips and you have all these connections. And so the more that I rehearse something, oh, nobody's going to like me. I'm going to go to this party and and no one's going to talk to me. And oh my gosh, the more I do that, the more I'm connecting those and reinforcing and strengthening those beliefs, the more it's going to feel true because then it becomes an automatic, that neurochemical exchange causes my body to go, it is true because it feels true. And now I'm going to act like it, right? And we have what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy where I go into the party thinking everyone's going to reject me. And so I go in with a certain attitude. They pick up that vibe. And before I know it, they reject me and I prove myself right. See, I knew it. Those Christians will never talk to you. You go to church and they're all into their own lives. And it's like, well, what atmosphere do you go into that a bunch of strangers are going to walk up to you? Usually you do have to kind of make yourself friendly, right? But if I already have it on the inside of they're going to reject me, I'm going to look at every facial expression. I'm going to read body language. I'm going to be more keyed up for rejection or abandonment or you to think I'm less than or you to think that there's something wrong with me or whatever the thought is. So when I recognize those themes, then I go, hey, God, I'm recognizing this is a theme. Lord, I need you to help me be consistent Just like if we go to the gym, you know, I lift my weights once and I'm like, okay, here's what your word says. And then I don't go back to the gym. I'm going to have pretty flabby arms. But if I now consistently go, okay, Lord, and usually I feel like the Lord likes us to camp on one area until we've got it. And then we move into the next area. Sometimes we try to gunshot and we overwhelm ourselves trying to change too many thoughts or habits or lifestyles at once. So if it's, for example, worthlessness. If I go, oh, I just feel like I have no worth and I'm just no good and there's something wrong with me and and just fundamentally bad or whatever, then I'm going to go, okay, Lord, I repent for believing that. That's the spiritual component. I come out of agreement with the lie that I'm worthless because that's not what your word says. So I'm going to close that door and now I'm going to open the door to truth. So God, it is written. What does your word say about worth? And there's all kinds of Bible studies. I mean, there's all kinds of those quick little things that like even give you verses underneath topics, like topic-based. And then for me, and everybody's different, but like I'll spend time with God on that topic. And so I'm a painter. So I'll paint, and before I know it, like beautiful paintings will come out. And even for me, um, when I was still very much in like self-rejection, and I was blonde, which... This is not a blonde brunette thing, but for me, it was, for me, it was an aspect of there's something wrong with me. I'm going to change everything I can to make sure that I now am whatever California standard of beauty is. Right. And so I was still this platinum blonde and I'm painting and all my paintings, I would be a brunette with long curly hair as a blonde. I mean, as yeah, I've been a blonde for years. That was like my identity as a blonde. And so it was just the weirdest thing is I spent time with the Lord. He started showing me how he sees me. I would go on dates with God. I would spend time with him. I would picture by faith that he's holding my hand and I would walk places. Because for me, I've been in grad school and doctorate stuff for about 11 years. So I have been by myself a lot. I go by myself a lot of places a lot. And so I had to learn how to make the Lord my best friend. So Jesus holds my hand and we go and do things. And, you know, and I have to have that relationship because I'm relational, right? That's one of my main domains. It doesn't mean we don't have human relationships, but very much I need that to be the the fullness of my life because most of the time we in our society are trained to look for it at our horizontal plane 
and I have my here, I'm good, okay, so as long as all my ducks are in a row, as long as my city is running the way I want and I have control and it feels good, then people are like, yeah, praise the Lord, things are great, awesome, wonderful, and then life shakes them up. You know, and we're like, oh, gosh, you know, my friend is mad at me or, oh, my gosh, you know, or maybe you go through a relationship heartbreak or maybe, you know, you get an illness or something happens in life that so shakes us up that it's like, I don't have control over that, you know. And so what happens, and this is a good indicator if um, if you're used to kind of being in control is if my brain now goes into rumination, which is that constant tape, that thought, 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 thought that won't stop. If it goes there, that's a good indication that my brain is trying to figure out control and, like, make myself feel better. There's nothing wrong with it, but it does show me that I'm trying to look for control here as opposed to going, okay, Daddy, whatever just happened in my life, you know, this eating disorder or this um, breakup or this lost a limb, I don't know, whatever just happened in my life, that now I need to look to you and ask you for strategies on how to resettle my foundation that I feel steady again. Because as long as my brain is thinking, I need to figure this out, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can be consciously thinking, no, it's not bothering me. No, I'm good. I'm fine. But I'm starting to have sleeping problems. I'm starting to notice that I have more tension. I'm getting more snappy with people. Maybe I'm just kind of withdrawing socially, and I just don't feel like going out and being around people. All kinds of things can be kind of like indicators that somewhere on the inside, I'm starting to feel unsettled. I'm starting to feel like I don't have control in a situation which actually isn't a bad thing, right? Because we're going to talk about how do we co-labor with Christ, that there's people who tend to go into hyper-control where it's like, if I don't know as a little girl that my needs are going to be taken care of, that everything's going to be fine, I feel like I need to be the super mayor of my city and I need to make sure everything runs. I need to be, you know, and those people are very regimented. They're very controlled. They're very tidy and they've got it all under control but you better not mess up their system. You better not mess up because this is how I keep my, you know, world, okay? Mm -hmm. Because anxiety fuels this feeling of unsettled. And if I have to look to my own strength, I'm going to need to grab control. I'm going to need to make sure. I'm going to I'm going to tell you, you know, you know you need to change that a little bit. Okay? Let's just, you know, I'm going to make sure everything has feedback because I feel like I need to do that. When I go into over control, then my body is going, oh, you know, like at the point where I'm getting unsettled, my body's going to start releasing cortisol. I'm going to have my adrenaline system going. And that's fine at first because it's called eustress. And that's where, you know, enough pressure and we kind of perform. It's kind of that, wow, under the gun, I really perform well. Huh, that's amazing. But most of the time, we don't know how to turn that off and go back to rest when we're no longer under the first initial of whatever situation is going on in our life. And so if I stay in you stress long enough, it then turns into real stress and that's where it becomes toxic to your body. And that's where, you know, you can get ulcers, your pH balance gets off and then they talk even a little about cancer and how pH balance might be affecting that and all kinds of health related things that could be associated as well as sleep. And we know the impact of sleep and how bad that's for our body. So if I'm staying in a stress, I need to be in control state or I'm in control and everything's fine until my world gets knocked upside down and now all of a sudden I'm really in stress, then I'm going to have a hard time relinquishing control, right? It's going to be really hard at that point to be like, hey, BFF, can you help me with this? It's like, no, I need to do it more. I need to be more in control. 
right? And so I'm not looking at the resources to my right and my left of the people who can help me. I'm not relying on Holy Spirit's help. Maybe in my head I'm praying, and maybe I'm praying really, really hard, and I'm asking a 1,000 people to pray, but if I'm not opening the door to help, to receive it, to believe by faith that God... You really are in control. You really are going to take care of this, and I can rest, and I can slow my heart rate back down. I can get the blood flow back from this part of the brain where it's, like, loud and noisy and get it to that soft part where we think that we might actually connect with our spirit realm through our brain. If I'm not doing that, if I'm just up here and I'm keyed up and I'm praying and I'm doing all this, but I'm not actually receiving and resting, it's very unlikely that I'm actually going to hear his counsel. He'll still intervene because he's nice and he's good, But it would be so much easier for our quality of life if we would just get to that place where it's like, okay, God, I receive. Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like. But, Daddy, I trust that you're good. I trust that. And I'm going to look up scriptures according to whatever it is. By your stripes, I am healed. Whatever scripture I need at that moment, and I'm going to hold on to it. And then I'm going to also elicit my relationships, right? So better that two walk together. If one falls, the other one can pick him back up. It's very important to have healthy relationships with the right people, right? So a lot of times we have really bad boundaries with the wrong people and too strong of boundaries with the wrong people, right people? So I feel like this is a strategic attack the enemy uses, and I call it friend or foe. Where the enemy wants me to start distancing from what is good from me. Like it sets off alarms of like, oh, I don't know if I can trust them. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I can bring this to God. I don't know that part of me. I mean, it feels so unclean. I don't know if I can do that. So subconsciously, I start walling off areas that my conscious brain is not aware of because I feel uncomfortable with something. And I just notice, yeah, you know, I just don't really feel like going to church right now. You know, I've got enough going on. We're really busy and blah, blah, blah. Not that you have to go to church all the time, but if it's a behavior change during certain life events, you might notice, am I starting to pull away from resources that could be very helpful when I do need them? Right? So in that place, the enemy is going, ha ha, she's isolating. Perfect. Because a person who isolates, right, we are, we are easy to pick off. Just like in a herd of animals, it's really easy to pick off somebody who's by themselves. But if I've got my sisters and they're surrounding me, if I've got family, if I've got loved ones, my friend calls this um, her board of directors. So she prays into, God, who are the people in my life that you've strategically placed on my wall that can be there for me, that can stand in agreement? They're not going to be perfect. Their name's not Jesus, but they're people with pure hearts. And so when I know that I am really in need, I can go to that person. But I also don't want to be a friend that just goes to people when I'm in need, right? So I want to be cultivating those friendships and being a wise steward of those friendships, right? That I'm cultivating their heart as much as I'm wanting them to cultivate mine. That I'm tilling that soil of relationships that are there for me when I need them, as well as when they may need me. Because the enemy is a roaring lion looking to whom he may devour. And so if we start putting ourselves together and we go, no, we are strong together and we can do this, and we link arms, then now I'm going, oh, my gosh, pray. And they do, and I do feel released. Because there's some times where it's a dark night, um, John of the uh, Apostle John of the Cross, there's writings where it talks about how he felt like he had a dark night of the soul, where it was just like his prayers just felt like the hit 
brass. And it was just like, seriously? And that's when we very much need our sisters and we need laughter and we need fun and we need health and balance. And so if we look at each of these areas, none of them work by themselves. If I just get my little flashcards and I do my prayer marches, but I'm isolated and I'm not taking care of my health and I'm not getting sleep, I'm going to be pretty burned out. My body is just going to be like, I'm done. So then I'm going to feel really tired. I'm going to feel really fatigued. And through the door of feelings, most women live in our feelings, right? God, I know your word says, but I feel. And so then I open the door through my feelings and it ushers in whatever lie, right? And so we need to be careful that we don't camp out in one area of just hyper spiritual or just change my thoughts or just build relationships or, you know, just exercise. But maybe we want to become women of balance where we like, Lord, how do we do all of this in a way that we're still cute and fun and happy, but we're also strategic in our proactive approach. I don't want to wait till I'm in a crisis to have to go through all of this. So my hope is to be a prevention agent to see people. And then I'm always thinking, Lord, what's the next attack that I can help start preparing to be a person on the wall to kind of sound the alarm of, Hey, just so you know, there's odds that something might happen in your life. People might withdraw and you might have to lean on the Lord at a different level. Not that people are bad, right? But that every season is going to carry a different growth point that the Lord's wanting to work out in us. And so if everybody else leaves me, am I still going to follow the Lord? If I get fired, if something bad happens, am I still going to go, God, but it is written. Here's your word. And this is what you say. And dad, right now I'm sad and I'm going through a tough time and I'm going to call my girlfriends and I'm going to receive encouragement from my sisters. If in that place, I'm now putting reinforcement around my city and it's much harder for those darts to get in, right? But it's that split second where I decide in my head, do I keep entertaining that thought, whatever you're, we call it a hot thought, if you want to think of like a fire that goes on on the inside, that thought that like, oh, I'm not going to get married or, oh, it's always going to be like this. What's the point? Bad things always happen, whatever. I can't. Or I'm helpless, and I feel like I'm a victim to my own life. So there's a couple ingredients that we know as psychologists that um, are precursors to depression and suicide and a bunch of stuff. So there's fabulous people that research this. They found two of the biggest ingredients to depression and suicide tend to be feelings of helplessness, where I feel like I'm helpless in my own life, like just everything's happening. And, oh my gosh, it's just chaos. And no matter what I do, it doesn't matter. So why bother? When I do that, I kind of abdicate my role of authority that God's given me. Like he's made me, you know, a king and a priest. And yet somehow now I've come back and I'm like, well, bad things just always happen. Or, you know, whatever. No matter what I do, it's always going to be like this. When I go down that route, my brain literally leaves the creative problem-solving region of the brain it stops firing in that area where I would actually think through, how can I solve this? What are my options? A, B, C, D might be helpful here. No, my brain goes into panic. Oh my gosh, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't do this. And we get overwhelmed and it turns on our adrenaline and it turns on all that insecurity and all those feelings that make us feel very unsettled on the inside. When I'm there, much harder again to connect with the smart part of the brain that actually thinks through it. So then now I'm just, I have a feedback loop where now my brain is going, I can't do this. 
oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then my heart goes, oh my gosh, you know, and so probably activates a whole bunch of subconscious beliefs. So then mindsets and all that stuff that opens doors to it feels true. So then my body goes, oh my gosh, it totally is true because I'm getting flooded with all the feelings. So then before I know it, I'm like a puppet to whatever subconscious impulses I think of doing. So my brain, it's like a committee that we have all these different parts of us and different ideas floating in. And each part is going to volunteer some information. Well, we could move to Jamaica and, you know, live on a boat. So we could do it that way. Or we could stay in bed and cry all day. You know, there's options. So my brain is going to go into a whole bunch of subconscious thoughts and options of how I can handle this. And when it's from the subconscious, it generally is not a very rational one. That's very irrational area of the brain. So when it comes from back there, a lot of times we have our addiction behavior, our compulsion behavior, our numbing out in front of the TV because I just want to avoid everything that's going on in my life right now. We have all those behaviors that aren't actually helping to solve the problem, right? So the longer I spend away from actually working on it and making it better, the more it intensifies the feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm not working on it. It's not getting better. Oh my gosh. So then you get more adrenaline. You feel even smaller and the problem seems so much bigger. So that's where it would show how big is my view of the cross? Because if my problems are this big and then my view is only this big, like my little cross necklace around my neck, well, yeah, that that problem is way bigger. Yeah, I mean, I can't do this. Oh, my gosh. Because I'm looking to my own strength. I'm saying I can't. And that's where some people might overly rely on others. Oh, my gosh, I just really need you. Oh, my gosh. Or we expect God to do things for us. And so we can get an attitude with the Lord sometimes and not even realize it where it's like, well, I've prayed about this and he didn't answer. And that's where a lot of people end up walking away from the Lord eventually. If they've had enough experiences where it's like, well, I prayed. Truthfully, I've prayed for something in my own life for 15 years before it happened. But I wouldn't trade it because that character that was developed in the time that I waited for that 15 years, I wouldn't trade it. But at any point, I could have given up and said, God doesn't answer. See, that's not real. God's not going to do it. I could have come into agreement with that lie at any point. And in our life... God's putting our big girl pants on and he's going, okay, sometimes you're going to have to wait for something. Sometimes you're going to have to walk the hard way. But I promise that I'll walk with you through the fire, through the water, because I am the lover of your soul. And I'm not doing it because I'm mean, but because I know this is part of your destiny, that you have to go out of Egypt in some areas in your life. We have to cross over some hard stuff. It's not his punishment. He's not mad. He's not mean, but he's going, this is the course of deliverance and healing in that area where pumpkin, you've had some addictions or some life habits or some codependence or some whatever. And now honey, we need to go into some stuff before you can go into your promised land. And so part of that is where we make that split second decision to believe God, to open that door or to believe the enemy and go, yeah, God doesn't answer my prayers, whatever. Maybe he does for those people, but I'm kind of over it. That's where split-second decisions now impact my heart. When I do that, not only is my body responding, now my spirit realm is responding, right? My heart, if it doesn't feel safe, it's going to create walls. It's going to put up barriers, right? I mean, how many times have we had our hurt feelings 
And the hardest thing is to now look at that person in the eye when our feelings are hurt. It's usually a big indicator that it's like, I'm fine. No, everything's good. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nothing. (laughs) Eye contact's the first thing to go, right? Because now you've hurt my feelings. My heart is closed to you and I can't trust you. We do the same thing with the Lord at a subconscious level and don't even realize it. We can do all the religious activities. We can go in every Bible study in every church, but my heart can feel far from him. And disappointment is one of the very easiest ways the enemy does it. I have my expectation that it's going to go this way, and it doesn't. And God, you don't care about my needs. I remember one time that I was going through something in particular and, and this was just a random thought. So I was actually encouraged that it wasn't my old same ones that I was like, Hey, at least he's trying something new. That's good. New territory. Um, the thought was, well, God doesn't care about you. And I don't normally think that, but that thought flew in and it was helpful that it wasn't a regular thought because I was able to identify it easier, but it was just this subconscious thought. And, you know, I kind of went about my day and before I knew it, you know, because, I mean, I have thousands of thoughts that go through my head every day, right? It's not like I'm stopping at every one and being like, hmm, I'm reflecting on everyone. But I'll start noticing, huh, my mood's getting in a funk. Or I, I feel a little less confident about my future. Or it's a little harder to hold on to, you know, some of my beliefs. Or it's harder to whatever and I feel less peace. So at that point, it's like, hmm, self-reflection time. So I'll start writing down, um, and cognitive behavioral therapy has some great tools. You can look up free resources online of like thought charts. There's a thousand different ways. There's no right or wrong way, but you can start writing down. What was the automatic thought? What was the thought that just shot in? God doesn't care about me. And then I'm going to say, what situation was I in? What variables elicited that feeling? Well, I was thinking about, you know, um, for me, moving and starting a brand new business and, you know, a bunch of disappointments happened and it was just like, God, I can't do this. You know, this is way too big and blah, 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 blah. So I wrote down what are the situational factors. I wrote down what are the emotions and the percentage of how much I feel helpless, small, little, weak, out of control, whatever. And now I take the thought to court and I go, okay, now what is the truth behind that, right? Because normally the enemy has enough truth and it's just a little bit perverted. So what's the truth? Well, I've never started a business before. Well, I am pretty young to go and start my own and to do all this and blah, 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 blah. Yes, these are all true. But what is the opposition in court, right? Well, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Well, the Lord has strategically placed business people around me who have decided that they were going to help, i.e. my parents. Um, so my mom does helps me with my taxes and paying taxes and stuff because those are a lot of big things. Um, and so then I'm going to write down, but what is truth on that? As I focus on that column, my picture of the cross starts getting bigger. If I focus on just the all I can'ts, my picture of the problem is getting bigger. And what I'm dwelling on is what's going to be magnified. And so that's what I'm focusing on. So if I'm looking at the problem, my eyes are very far and my heart is very far from the Lord. If I'm looking at the Lord and I'm like, okay, God, yes, these are all obstacles. Yes, this is all impossibilities that I see in front of me. But if I take the thought to court and I now rationally make myself think through everything, wow, God, but here's your truth on that. And now I'm focusing on that. And now I'm going to grab a hold of those truths. Then I'm going to make a balanced thought. 
where we can hold concepts that things can be really hard, they can even be impossible, and yet God be faithful, and yet we can do this, and yet... So the picture God gave me for this conference is like a lot of us in different areas of our life without realizing it have been in areas of Egypt where we've lived with a lot of co-mingling stuff that we weren't even aware of. And I think mostly it's just because we're human and we live in a fallen world and we pick up stuff and we have no idea. And so the Lord's like, hey, love bug, I would rather you not live with that. So let's bring you out of some stuff. Let's make you aware, our holy highlighter, of some stuff that's not good. And some things aren't even bad in of themselves. Anything can become an idol, right? I can start looking to coffee and food and TV and shopping and blah, blah, blah. Nothing wrong with those things. But the heart check is, am I looking to those things to get my emotional needs met? Those things are great. They are gifts from the Lord. But is it now I'm going to that for strength, for encouragement, for guidance, for help, for reassurance, for comfort. If so, now it's turning into an idol and not like, oh my gosh, scary idol, but it's just like, hey, I'm looking to that instead of to the Lord. I don't have to live like that. My life would be much freer if I didn't look to that. Whether it's alcohol or it's, um, you know, a person in a relationship, this relationship has to be okay. And if it's not, my world's not okay. Whatever that thing is, then that's the stuff the Lord's going, hey, love bug, your life is going to be a teeter-totter as long as that is your inner world. As long as that's your source, that can be taken away at any point. You know, person could die, your looks could fade, you know, your weight could change a thousand times in five minutes. Like, we're women, right? So life can always fade and change and go. So there's a stability that the Lord wants to work on on the inside of us where that he is enough and I live in the place of fullness in here. So then all the people and the fun and the shopping and the coffee and the food and the girls nights and all that stuff is just abundance. That's on top of so that I don't have to live from moment to moment. The next time I get another, you know, moment away from my kids or whatever it is that I can start living in. Okay, God, you said my maker is my husband. So how do I let you be my co-BFF, best friend forever, um, along the way, I realize I use, I talk like myself and I'm like, hey, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, and so how do we let the Lord into that area of every day? Hey, God, like if I've had a really long day in therapy, I noticed that I started to like always have to, um, always have to like have coffee or something. And so it was just like, nothing wrong with that, right? But the Lord was like, hun bun, are you starting to turn to that instead of me? I still drink coffee. There's nothing wrong with coffee. I love it to pieces. But am I starting to get comfort and reassurance and happy things from that? Or is that just abundance? Do I let my tank get so low that now I'm looking to natural things, whatever those are, to fill me up as opposed to staying full in the Lord And then those things are just on top and it's perks and it's fun and it's great. Because when those things aren't there, like fasting, like, oh my gosh, you know, do I get really cranky and like I just snarl at everybody because I haven't had whatever that I think I need? That's a good indicator. Maybe I've been looking to that thing or that person or that TV show or that whatever it is. I even did a clothes shopping fast when I was in high school. 
because that made me feel better. I would go shopping, and I'd get something. I wouldn't wear it, and then I would take it back the next day because then I could get something else because it was fun to buy something. (laughs) Because as a high school student, I didn't have a lot of money, right? And I didn't want to be deceptive, so I didn't wear it. But I liked the high of buying something. Getting something new made me feel good. So God said, hon, I don't know if that's good to keep doing that. And so I said, all right. So I had to go on a shopping fast. And it's wonderful. I never feel that compulsion to need to go back to that thing again. But going back to our Egypt metaphor, God's delivering us out of a whole bunch of stuff, different areas of our life. And he just does it a little at a time so it's not overwhelming us. Even as the children of Israel went into the promised land, he said, I'm not going to clear out the whole land ahead of you. You're going to have little mini fights so that the animals and all the stuff doesn't overwhelm your territory. So God, in his strategic mind, knows the little bits that we can handle. So he highlights a little area, and I'm like, hey, God, I'm realizing that. Maybe this belief, maybe this habit, maybe this addiction, maybe this mindset, maybe this giving into my mood whenever it feels like it, maybe my anger, maybe my self-esteem, whatever it is that I keep going back to, maybe that's a holy highlighter for me to go, hmm, as the mayor, I sure need to address it, right? So part of addressing it is I can either go into hyper control and be like, well, then I'm just going to never do that again. And I'm just not ever going to, oh my gosh, Lord, don't even worry. I've got this. (sighs) Not happening again. Which means I'm relying on my strength which means I'm setting myself up for a much harder road because I'm going to get tired. I'm going to do a great job at first, but then eventually. And if I've used that thing or person or whatever it was as an emotional need, now I take that away. Now my crutch emotionally for whatever that was, now I'm leaving myself deprived in that area, right? So if I was looking to a person for a source of significance or meaning or feeling good about myself, and now maybe I'm just not talking to them anymore, and I don't fix and find that need met in another area, subconsciously my brain is going to go, oh, we don't, we're not getting our needs met. Oh, my gosh. We need to get our needs met. So now we're going to start looking for other ways slash going back into an addictive relationship or a toxic codependent or a whatever, right? I'm going to start looking for it or like a zit. I may pop this zit, but I'm going to have a whole bunch of other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that was a cute metaphor. Uh, (laughs) A lot of other stuff is going to start popping out if you don't identify the root, right? If I don't come back and go, Lord, what need am I getting met? And the craziest part is consciously, 100% usually, you cannot identify it for yourself, what need you're getting met. And normally, we don't even realize that we're doing it, right? It's just maybe the way we've done life. Maybe it's how our family did life. It's just, it's kind of how we do things, right? And so if I don't identify that, then I'm just going to keep being set up to go back into the same cycles in life. And we'll talk later about identifying our cycles and even working through, hey, how do I identify that? So we can go into the hyper control route when God reveals something, or I can go into the under control, which is... I can't do this. Oh my gosh. And then maybe I repent a lot and I'm like, Oh God, could you just take this away? And Oh Lord, you know, and I call a thousand people. I'm like, could you just pray about this? Because you know, and everything in my whole posture is saying, I can't do this. Right. 
So that's kind of the under control where I'm not stepping into the place of stewardship of going, God, we can. So last night, everybody was teasing me about how I said in our head about Jesus. So the reason I do is because for me, God's talked to me a lot about co-stewardship, co-ruling and reigning with Christ. So in my head, it is me and Jesus. Like it's our head. Like we share it. Like it's our place to hang out. I know that sounds totally weird and I'm fine with that Um, because I'm learning how to walk into how do we co-rule and reign? How do I invite Jesus into every decision? Not as a weirdo, but as a, hey, best friend, what are your thoughts? I know that we can do this because you've prepared me and equipped me with every good thing that I need for godliness and righteousness in Christ Jesus. So I know we can. So what's your strategy? What are your ideas on how we can do it? When I do that as my automatic first response, that tells my body, hey, we're okay. It doesn't have to release the fight or flight, the, oh my gosh, we have to, you know, amp up and get all stressed out. It tells the body, hey, reassurance. I feel empowered. I feel like, you know, I'm a woman standing in my own shoes. I'm not a little girl trying to like figure something out. And as I stand in this, I'm like, okay, God, you have all wisdom, all knowledge. You knew this was coming. It's not blindsiding you. He's not like, oh, angel, shoot, what do we do? Like, bang. He's like, okay, love bug, I've prepared you up to this point to handle this next battle. Your next Jericho, your next thing. And so believing my father is good. He's not absent. He's not back there somewhere far away and remote and distant. But he's very immediate and he's very sweet. And he's not always going to deliver us out of the battle And so that's where I learn how to be in the battle with him. How do I abide with Christ? How do I sit in heavenly places getting strategy from the Lord as I'm still living my life here on earth? And so that's where I talk about co-ruling and reigning with Christ. Of how do we invite that this we can do mindset? Because Shannon in her own strength will get tired. She will eventually get cranky and not want to do it anymore. Eventually I'm going to fail. And if I never, and I just abdicate, and I go, I can't do it, I'll let someone else do it, you know, then I have legally given permission with I can't to open the door, and I've pretty much asked the enemy to go ahead and have a seat because I've abdicated my place of authority, and it's just like, come on in, like, do your thing. Like the whole Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab was the king in Israel, but as king, he emotionally abdicated it to a codependent relationship where he allowed Jezebel to have way too much authority and to turn his nation away from God. So there's a place of authority that the God, that our God would love to invite us into of recognizing this is my life. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my intellect, my ability, my relationship skills, my whatever. I have everything I need for godliness and righteousness in Christ Jesus. I am lacking no good thing in Christ Jesus. Nope. That verse is not an exception. There's no exceptions there. So if I'm living like there's an exception, like, yeah, maybe for them, but I'm not so sure about me, then I'm still living with an open door. And next time I go through something, I'm going to feel unsteady. I'm going to feel like it's true. So if we recognize that, we don't get mad at ourselves. We just go, hey, God, you're showing me something. I recognize this thought came up for me. I recognize that unsettled feeling. I recognize I started getting kind of crabby with everybody. 
I recognized I was getting out of alignment. I recognized I was starting to kind of like pull back and, you know, say, I can't, or, oh my gosh, I can't do this, or, oh my God, what are they going to think about me? Or, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. All of that's indicating abdication, that I'm pulling back and I'm not taking my place of authority. And that's fine. It's just going to make life a lot harder that it doesn't have to be. Right? And so as the steward, I want to start strengthening that sense of self that I know how to co-rule and reign with Christ, that we can do this, God. I have a best friend who is working for the attorney general in Virginia and now a professor on top of that. So she tries cases and then she drives for three hours to go teach and lecture at a doctorate law program and prepares in between all of that as a 29 year old. Right. So, oh, my gosh, I could not imagine her life. I mean, people yell at her as a profession and tell her she's wrong and she's bad and she's no good for nothing. That is her profession, to have people hate her. (laughs) And then she's also a professor and having to grade and having to do all these things. I don't say that so that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm not doing anything. Uh." But I'm going, wow, God, literally, we really can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's crazy. Someone so young can go, okay, Lord, I agree. We can do this. I don't know how. I don't know what this is going to look like. But by golly and by gosh, you're going to do it. And we're going to actually enjoy it. And that's the part where my hope is. Is that when we start learning some of the strategies, some of the, my people perish for lack of knowledge, when we start learning some of the knowledge points, that then my city has fortified walls. And then it's like a wineskin, right? It's like that new wineskin where his presence just keeps pouring and it's not leaking out the back somewhere where I'm like, yay, I'm full and I'm leaking again. But I'm like, yay, daddy, this is wonderful. And if I get low, I recognize it right away. And I'm like, okay, what are our options? Well, we can do this, 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 and this because I feel empowered. I feel like I have choices. I feel like I have options that I can do this, right? That I'm fully equipped. We can do this, God. If I have a thousand kids running and I just want to pull my hair out and oh my gosh, I can't be a mom one more second. Pulling back. Okay, dad, how would you like us to handle this? Do I need a nap? Do I just need to take care of my body right now where I'm just done and I have permission to rest in Christ? That there's a place of abiding. Is it another client who, um, very lot of perfectionism, right? So she'll just do go, 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 go. And for her, her rest, her pullback is going for a run for four miles. But that for her is her prayer time, her connecting alone with the Lord away from the kids and just resting. So whatever yours is, sometimes I do painting. Sometimes I go on dates with God, whatever yours is, it's that pullback time. Of one, I need to know how much you love me. That's the first thing the enemy is going to try to, you know, uh, if God feels distant and now I have this big problem, I have to solve it, or I've got, you know, just blah, emotions going haywire. Dad, you love me, and you don't want me to have this quality of life. So as the steward, I get to decide when I take a break, when I restructure my life, and I say, hmm, I don't have to live like this. Lord, what are the things that are on your heart for this season? And so when I start seeking the Lord for this season, he goes, okay, here's where your emphasis is. And the coolest thing is even for me preparing for this conference, I mean, I've been preparing, like overachiever, (laughs) hello. So been preparing, 
And yet I still have a business, right? And so I'm trying to balance all of these things. And the gentle, gorgeous, amazing, handsome, wonderful nature of our God is that he started to schedule my appointments in such a way that he would block time for me to work on the conference that I didn't even have to do it. Like I so trust him because of several experiences like this where it's like, okay, Lord, I cannot do this. Like this is really a wall. This is really something Shannon cannot do. But I believe by faith that we can, and so I'm seeking you on the strategy, right? So that means for me, I had to make sure I went to the gym every morning because that helps release endorphins. It releases toxins, and that's not everybody. But it also makes sure my body stays in a place of health. I have to get eight hours of sleep. Like last night, I slept with my, like, little night mask, and I was, like, out because I know I cannot have the quality of life I need in order to run my city if I'm not taking care of some of the basic essentials. Some people can get three hours of sleep. Some people can, you know, not exercise, and that's great. Your life is going to be different. Your city will run differently than mine. But I'm starting to learn the cues. Shannon, if you have too much caffeine late at night, you're not going to sleep. You're not going to sleep means you're going to be groggy tomorrow. That means you're going to feel like giving up a whole lot faster when you're tired and cranky and just want to go to bed and no, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So if I start recognizing that, hey, for Shannon City, that means I need to make sure I prioritize some things. And so as I prioritize, I go, Lord, what's on your heart for this season? Like at a low level, I'm structuring my life with, you know, quiet time, exercise, nutrition, you know, all those things. And then I plan in friend dates, so I'm making sure I get friend time. I'm getting all those, you know, so I'm trying to create balance. I structure that into my life. And if I'm depleted in something, I'll go, Lord, I would love it to have a friend time this weekend. And a lot of times, somebody will call, or sometimes God will put it on my heart, and I'll call. And I'll just be like, hey, what you doing this weekend, blah, 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 just checking in, right? And so it's just so neat to see how the Lord likes to co-do it with us. He's not going to take control. He's not like an ab- abusive boyfriend that comes in once you give your life to Christ that he's like, okay, we do it my way, and this is how it's going to look. He's a gentleman. He's going to come in as much as we allow him. He's going to take as much as we offer to him. So he's standing there as a total gentleman. He's not going to cross over boundaries. If I say, I've got this, I've got this, that's okay, I got this. He's like, okay, I love you. I'd like to help, but I love you. He's going to love us through whatever decision we make. It's just our quality of life that gets affected when we get burned out. And then we're looking at everyone else going, why am I the one who's always doing everything and no one's ever helping me and blah, 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 blah. Because maybe I didn't invite them in. Maybe I became a control monster without realizing it and I wasn't sharing responsibility and dispensing it, right? Maybe I do the same thing with the Lord and not even realize it. Here I'm doing all these things for God and blah, blah, blah. He's not even helping me. God, where are you when I need you? Maybe I've become a control monster with God and didn't even realize he's now waiting on the other side going, I'd love to help. I got a gift basket. Peace, I got that. I can help with that too. Creative ideas, yeah, I can help there too. You're my favorite. I'm here. He's so patient with us. Going back to Corinthians, the God that I know He's so patient and tender and careful. So my biggest prayer is that we do not come under condemnation by hearing these things. But it's like, wow, dad, you have such a higher quality of life for me. 
you so like me and you so have a plan for my life that you even will block out time in my day that I get to do whatever task is important and then I can rest the rest of the day, right? But if Shannon was going, I have to focus on this and I need to be involved here and I need to be serving there and I also need to be doing with this and I'm volunteering for everything, that may not all be what's on God's agenda for this season. Some things will burn in our hearts and it's like, yes, that's a passion. But God, is that for this season? Like, you know, I've been in grad school forever. So I didn't get to really do a lot of other stuff. And I wanted to, and I was super excited to. And I'm like, mm, not this season. Okay, I'll just keep waiting, Lord. Still on the agenda, still on the docket up there? Okay, I'll just keep waiting. Um, and he's like, don't worry, I've got it. If it's a desire, he will cause it to come to fruition. There was a certain prayer that I had asked the Lord that a certain person would mentor me back in like, it was either 2009 or 10. And I was like, oh, God, could that person mentor me? Oh my gosh, that'd be really cool. And I was like thinking in my head, like, who am I to even ask him? Like, I'm sure a thousand people want that person to mentor them. And so I just was like, that was a silly thought. So then several years went past. And before I even knew it, someone else was in my life. And they're like, Shannon, do you want to meet such and such person? And I was like, oh, yes. How did you know? And so she introduced me. And now she's my mentor. And I didn't have to do anything. I could have strived. I could have, like, positioned myself and been around the right people. I could have done a whole lot of stuff, but it wasn't for that season. So it would have been out of order, right? And the grace wouldn't have been over that decision. But if I just wait, and it's on God's docket, he knows. He's not absent-minded, no Alzheimer's. He knows. If we'll just wait, he says, wait, and I'll give you upgrades. And so now... I have like three or four mentors and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like a kid in a candy store. And I waited all these years and God's just like strategic alignment with the right people. It doesn't mean he didn't love me when my unanswered prayers. It just means right now that's not the focus, honey. I've got that. We'll do it. But right now your focus is here. But if I'm so discontent because God's not answering my prayer now and I'm living in the unanswered prayer of tomorrow, I'm missing out on whatever this priority of this season is, meaning I'm not going to be fully equipped for my next season because I've been out of order without realizing it, right? Because if I'm not asking the BFF of my soul going, hey, what are we working on here, right? So a lot of people, I hear this a lot, where... They'll be in like a training program or certificate or school or something. And they're like, but I really just feel like I should go do. They leave whatever their current season is, which doesn't mean that wasn't God. But if it wasn't God, then now you've just left this season to go into presumption of, but this is what my heart is burning. This is my passion. Right? So that means I need to start creating a couple vetting systems where I'm going, okay, Lord, I feel passion for this, but am I also getting my wise counsel agreeing with it? Am I also finding confirmation in scripture? Am I also feeling a peace when I get my emotions quiet and I actually settle down and I hear you for you? Is that actually a word from you and a decision from you? Or is it you're stirring up a desire and it's on the docket of heaven and will come to pass, but maybe it's just not right now. So, If you have your vetting system and it's like, yes, this is God, then go for it. 
I mean, for me to go and start my own practice when I had a thriving practice in Dallas, my life was great. There's no need for me to move. I mean, I worked for a group. They took care of everything. I just showed up. It was wonderful. So for me to come and start my own business, that could have been presumption for me to just be like, oh, okay, opportunity. So I really need to pray about it, right? So I spent time. I asked my wise counsel. I sat in peace, and I said, okay, Lord, like, is this you? I had several confirmations before I left one season to go into my next one. So for me, that was the right decision, and God confirmed it and confirmed it. But sometimes we get so excited, and we follow our emotions, and the door of emotion can open up, And then we go and we're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do this thing. Like that happens all the time. People will come up to me and say, hey, have you ever thought about this, this, and this? And I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds so amazing. But then I ask the Lord and he's like, not this season. That may be, and I love you to pieces, but if you do that, you're going to overwhelm yourself. You're going to overwork yourself. You're going to deplete yourself and you're not going to be excellent at what you need to be focusing on now. I'm not going to know that if I'm not co-ruling and reigning with Christ, though. If I'm not inviting his counsel, if I'm not inviting wise counsel of BFFs in my life, well, I'm going to be up a river because I'm just going to kind of be following my emotions, right? So I'll share this story. Um, When I was in grad school, um, the enemy usually, and it was fun when I finally identified what it was, but he usually uses one particular area of my life to distract me. Um, I'll just tell you. So it's guys. Um, so, (laughs) um, (laughs) hard to figure out, right? Um, so usually when there's something major going on in my life, there's out of the blue, a guy will just come in my life and it'll just be like, Oh wow, life is amazing. And it's really easy because it's the desire of my heart. So it's hard not to be like, Okay, well, let's do that instead. Awesome. Because God's going, ah, this is, this is our agenda right now. Love bug. And I'm like, oh, okay. So one time I was at a church service. It was like a conference. And so this is just an illustration of showing we don't follow every impulse, every emotion, every thought, every feeling, right? So I was worshiping and there was this long drawn out thing with this guy, right? So I had gone on two 40 day fasts, like, is this your will, God? You know, my gosh, I don't want to make a mistake. And he came on very strong. Like, I feel like this is from the Lord. You're my wife. Like this is God. And everybody respected him. And he's like, Mr. Prophetic and anointed and wonderful at my church. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, it's totally God. Like, Oh, you know, and it was honoring. And it just was like this huge deal. But I just, it just didn't, I mean, one, I wasn't even attracted to the guy, to be honest with you. Um, and a couple other things, we didn't even know each other. I mean, just in group settings, but we never been on a date and he was on, anyway, we were always fasting. So that was a weird time in my life, (laughs) but I was always fasting and it was just like, is this you? Is it not? And it was such a back and forth and back and forth. There was no peace. There was no settled. And my parents, um, were like, you know, we just don't really feel a lot of peace about this relationship. They were trying to be supportive. Um, but they were just like, yeah, just don't really feel a lot of peace about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, Lord, what's your, what's your will? And I was just so anxiously trying to please him, which shows you a lot about my God image that I wasn't at a place of rest of being like, okay, Lord, either way, your will will be done. It's like, I need to figure it out means I'm still trying to please him and do it myself. And so he's proud of me. That sounds nice, but that's a very distorted God image. And it's going to leave me very vulnerable 
to doing it in my own ability and strength and and smarts and spiritual insight that I'm going to lose out on a lot of what the Lord would love to give counsel in that area. So I'm back at this conference now, and it's been like probably a year of back and forth, and I've done all these fasts, and I'm on a fast at the time away from the guy. doesn't mean I'm not eating, by the way. (laughs) It just means I was not talking to him because I was trying to seek the Lord on, is this really the person I'm supposed to marry? Okay. (laughs) I'm not that holy. (laughs) Um. So um, I heard this voice in my head, and it was very clear. And it was probably the clearest voice I've ever heard. And it was like, if you're not willing to leave mother and father for me, you're not willing to follow, or you're not worthy to follow me. (gasps) Oh, my gosh, God. Like, I've been praying and fasting here and fasting. Is this your will that I marry this guy? He's saying yes. He's saying it's a word from the Lord, and that God is saying yes. And my parents are saying no. And if I follow my parents instead of you, I'm not worthy to follow you. I mean, I had this flood of emotion. I marched over because he was running the sound for the conference. I marched over and I kissed him. I broke my fast and I was like, yes, in Jesus name, I'll do it. Whatever God wants. (laughs) So good thing I have praying parents because I moved to Hawaii shortly after that. And, um, found out he was dating lots of girls the whole time. So he had lots of sweet little things that I was unaware of and maybe was also wanting a green card. So good to know that in that moment I could have followed, oh my gosh, because that was an emotion, right? That's a desire of my heart. And in the of emotion, I hear this thing, talk to me, popcorn thought, And I go, oh my gosh. And I overrode all common sense. I didn't pray about it. I didn't think about it. I didn't go to wise counsel. I didn't go a couple of my vetting. I just went, okay, Lord, because I thought it was God, right? And so all of us, we need to identify Adonai in the place of peace. What is my season? What is my focus? Because here's the strategic assignment that person had in my life. Every time I had a major dissertation, internship to apply for, um, everything that was important, he would always get in a fight and get mad at me, and I would be in drama and turmoil during something I was supposed to focus on. And his ultimate goal is that I would join him on the mission field in Africa, and I would leave grad school and not get my doctorate, and I would go be a good missionary and love Jesus the way I was supposed to. So if we want to talk about stealing someone's assignment, that would probably be it, right? Because yay, missionaries, yay, Africa, all those things are great. And I'm probably still going to go to Africa, and I'm excited for that day. But God's saying that's not on the docket this season, love bug. You need to be faithful in this season. So if I had aborted it, God's like, I love you. I, you know, okay, it's your free will because you're the steward of your city. You can make that choice. But I really do have better if you would just seek me, if, if we would have that conversation. But my God image at that point was very distorted and it hindered me from being able to hear the Lord very well. Right? So God is faithful and I was earnestly praying for God's will. I wasn't just trying to just willy-nilly whatever I wanted. And so the Lord did expose him. And so before I did anything and it was exposed and that's wonderful and hallelujah. Um, and I bless him. And he was the person that I had the bitter root that I, I forgave and I forgave because I know as a good Christian, I'm supposed to forgive. Um, but 
the Lord showed that every time I thought of him, I had this emotion come up of like injustice and that shouldn't have happened. It's not fair and blah, blah, blah. And um, so when the Lord took the bitter root, when I asked him, Daddy, will you take that bitter root? Which I didn't know was there. He revealed it through, I was reading like a, a teaching or something. Then he's like, yep, I took it and it's gone. And it's wonderful. And I can see him and all those people and his new wife and be totally happy for them because God is good. And my heart is so confident that that's not my boo, that I'm okay. (laughs) So when we have that kind of relationship with the Lord, that we have enough milestones to look back, like the children of Israel going, create your milestones. When God's done something faithful, create a marker. Look back at the time where he was faithful and go, self, you really want this right now. But if you'll just wait for God's best, if you'll just be faithful in the now, then you're much faster to your promised land. I 100% believe God would have allowed me to that marry that young man who loves Jesus. He genuinely does. But his call was Africa. His call was to be a missionary and live in huts. And I'm like, okay, can we at least have chandeliers in the huts? Because I really like pretty things. I'm just saying. See, I'm not that holy. Um, And so our calls and our destinies were just different. Not a bad guy, just different, right? And so a lot of those decisions are pivotal. If we just wait for God's best, if I just say, dad, right now, this is hard, but I'm willing to be faithful because I trust that at the end of all of this, there's something so great. I can't even imagine it because that's your nature. Okay, well, with that sound effects, we'll end, and I'll give Debbie the mic to pray to end. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. That is wonderful. Thank you, Shannon. Um, more, more meat to chew on. Wow, that was wonderful. Deep. I love her uh, examples and illustrations and personal stories really brings it home. Most of you know the Dana Vollmer thing is going on downstairs, so there's probably a packed place out there. So, But when we come back, they'll be gone because they told me it was going to be from about 11.30 to 1. So um, I thought it was about to get really loud, so I'm like, Shannon. <laughs> but they, they cut it down. But anyway, um, t- um, two things. One, if you haven't registered because you came in late and no one was out there, I, I think Mary will go on out there and meet you and you can go ahead and register with her. We really want a count of who all's coming and going. The other thing is just real quick, um, story about Dana Vollmer. You know, she went to the Olympics when she was 16. She went in there. She, she didn't win a personal gold, but she won a team gold medal in 2004. Well, the 2008 Olympics come around and she doesn't make the cut. So she's devastated and just really grieved. It really affected her life. She had a lot of health issues and things like that. Some of you may know her personally, so I'm hoping I'm getting this story right. Anyway, so the 2008 Olympics come. She didn't make it. She was just so grieved and upset and didn't know what to do with her life because that's the way she was uh, wanting to go with her life was just continue and train for the Olympics and all. So anyway, some friend of hers told her, um, I'm not sure if I'm getting this right. I think they told her to go to Australia, swim with the dolphins, and teach some swimming classes. And she did something such like that. 
and she began to realize how much she loved the swimming. She loved it. It was in her heart. But I'm sure that during those that time, those few years, she was feeling defeated. She lost her dream, her goal. She was feeling, you know, just overwhelmed with um, lost hopes and all. Anyway, we all know the story of what happened this year. She apparently got her heart back together, got her dreams together, and went for it. And in Christ Jesus, she went and won how many? Go, man. Three, four, a bunch. So we're celebrating her in Hood County. So God bless her. And that's a neat story to see someone who overcame a particular situation in their life. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you again for a deep impartation of your word and your truth through Dr. Shannon. God, thank you for her precious heart. Thank you, Father, for continuing the work that you began in each one of us. God, you are faithful to complete it, and we're just holding on to that hope. We're excited about our next session, Lord, and we just pray your protection and fun and laughter and joy over our lunch hour in Jesus' name.